Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Terrible. It's much more honest. Yes. First off, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone. Um, so last week, if you were here for last week's sermon, uh, if you weren't and you caught it on the podcast, uh, if you haven't yet, you can go back and catch it on the podcast. Um, but the intention of last week's sermon was really to get the point across that we as Christians are really crummy at sharing with each other what's really wrong with us, right? And so you, we, we need to be more vulnerable with each other. We've, we, you know, we've got a God who weeps with us, but we also have to weep with God. We need, we need our hearts to be broken for the things that break God. But then on top of that, we also have to weep together. But part of weeping together is we've got to be humble enough to share with everyone else what's going on. And so the point of me last week saying, I'm not doing well, I'm not okay, I'm struggling, I'm tired, like all of that stuff was to really spur on vulnerability, right? If, if I stand up here and I'm vulnerable with everyone, that encourages everyone else to be vulnerable with one another. What I was not intending was to fish for help um, and to have such an outpouring of people who would say, hey, like, how can I help you? What can we do? We're praying for you. Like, all of the things. I got so many conversations and text messages and phone calls and emails from people who are saying that, so I want to thank you all, um, and I apologize to all of you as well, because since that wasn't my intention, I did not have a list of things that I needed done that I could give to anybody who asked, how can I help? So I'm working on that list, so bear with me for a little bit. Uh, I told you all I'm really not good at asking for help, uh, which also means I'm not good when somebody says, how can I help, of knowing what to tell them. So I'm working on that, so bear with me, uh, and I'll get that down. But uh, thank you to everybody who reached out, uh, even if you didn't reach out and you just were praying, uh, have been praying for me and Jana and the family. We love you guys. Um, we love our church family. Uh, it's, I, can't, I still can't believe that we get to do this, that God has called us to do this. Uh, and everywhere we go, everyone we talk to, uh, we always say the same thing, that we have such a dear church family. So many dear people here. You all know that. You're, you're here, uh, and so you've experienced that firsthand. Um, but, but we really do love you guys, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for reaching out uh, and checking to see how you could help. Now, on to, we're actually entering into bonus territory today. Uh, the Blessed Sermon Series was actually supposed to be done today. We were supposed to wrap it up and move on. Uh, but since last week, the Holy Spirit kind of changed our direction, sent us on a little detour. Uh, we are going to be dragging this out for a little bit and find out how long he has us in this thing. So we're going to roll with it and see when he says stop. And when he does, that's when we'll stop. So today we are moving on to the second week on Jesus' second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn. And this week we want to talk specifically about traps in mourning. So last week we talked about the blessing in mourning, which on the surface seems strange, right? 
When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, that doesn't seem like something that we would call blessed. But for myself, as I just stated, and also for many of you, when we had that extended prayer time at the end of service where you got to share and pray with one another, you experienced firsthand the blessing of mourning. And, and really, when you draw into community like that together, when you're vulnerable with each other, it's incredible the depth that is formed. Uh, it's super interesting to me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rag on this a little bit today, but we have this current church culture that's very much encouragement, 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 but very little on the end of the other side of that. But what's interesting to me is that when we, when we live in this culture where all we do is we lift up and all we do is we, you know, stay surfacy and stay, you know, it's, it's the same way with marriage. Marriage is really a good illustration of this. But when I look at my marriage with Jana, Jana and my marriage is strong, rock solid, not because we've lived this happily ever after fairy tale. It's strong and it's solid and it's deep because we've walked through crap right? We have walked through storms, but it's those storms that drag us deeper into relationship with one another. And so it makes sense, it stands to figure that if we as the body of Christ, like you did last week, if you get together with another individual and you share with that individual, I'm not doing okay, and you just bear your soul I promise you, if you haven't already experienced, that relationship just went deeper, right? Not because you sat there and you were like, oh, everything's great. Life's flower and rainbows and roses. That doesn't make relationship deeper. What makes relationship deeper is you say, I got skeletons in my closet, and I'm going to pull back a little bit and let you see some of them. And that forges a deep relationship. That's the blessing that comes when we share with one another. That's the blessing that comes when we share with God too, right? I was talking to Kurt last week, and, and he had talked with me about his mourning experience, but that in, in that mourning, he experienced God like never before. So while nobody wants to go through mourning, if you do it right and you hand it over to God, it draws you closer to him like nothing else in your life. But we've got to do it right, right? And so today I want to look at some traps that we can fall into. We've got a God that weeps with us, and that is incredible comfort but we've got to make sure that we mourn his way because the world is going to tell you how to mourn, right? Modern psychology is going to tell you how to mourn, right? We have steps that we're supposed to follow for the grief process. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not taking a shot at it, right? But, but we're told how to mourn. But are we listening to God? Are we listening to him and expecting him to tell us how to mourn? Because if it's not his, if we're not doing it his way, there can be no blessing in us. The goal of this is not to experience comfort because the world will offer you plenty of comfort a variety of ways. We talked about this a little bit last week. And y'all, it ought to scare us how comforting the world's way of dealing with mourning can be because it can pull you into these traps. And so we've got to make sure that we do this God's way. So let's look at these three things this morning. First of all, we've got to be careful of the first danger, which is an absolute refusal to recognize mourning. A refusal to mourn. 
And that is very dangerous. And guys, I think this is, it. this is a bigger problem in the church than we give it credit today. And there's some sneaky theology in there that we're going to talk about that hopefully I'll shoot bullet holes through and you won't. If you were buying into it, you'll stop buying into it. If you know people who buy into it, you'll pray for them and hopefully they'll stop buying into it. Second, there is also a prevalent mindset on the other side of the ditch. Refusing comfort and staying in mourning instead of coming out of it. And then finally, if we're not careful, we can embrace all of the false comforts that the world offers instead of turning to find true comfort. So let's dive in. First up, refusing mourning. This is an extremely dangerous thing, y'all. Now, sounds like the first step of any recovery program, right? Anybody who is an addict, the first step of recovery is acknowledging that there is a problem, right? You got to acknowledge the problem. And it's the same thing with grief. You've got to acknowledge that there is grief, that there is mourning. The problem is, in our church culture today, there is this non-biblical teaching out there, and it's sneaky, y'all. It is so sneaky. I've heard pastors explain it, and they do a good job explaining it right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We hinted at it. We didn't really dive full length into it, but it's this idea, this hijacking of the power of positive thinking, right? We think positive thoughts, positive things happen, right? And so we tag along to this, well, I was made in God's image, and so God speaks things into existence, so since I was made in God's image, I can speak things into existence, and so I'm, and you've heard this before, actually, I was, I was listening to an interview yesterday, I was watching the Browns preseason game, and one of their guys got an interception, and the person was inter- interviewing him on the sideline, and she's like, oh, you got a pick six, and he's like, yeah, man, I, I, told, I told some of the players I was going to get a pick six coming back to Kansas City today, and I manifested that. I, you know, I, y'all, it's in the church. There are Christians that believe this. I'm going to manifest my miracle. I'm going to speak it into existence. And the opposite side of that, we're not going to speak negative things. We're not going to acknowledge that there's sickness. We're not going to acknowledge that there's hurting. We're not going to acknowledge, because if we, if we acknowledge it, if we give room to it, then, then the devil wins. Are you kidding me? Have you read your Bible? Because there's this book in here called Psalms. Have you read it? And there's this guy that writes a lot of the Psalms named King David. And you know what he writes about about half the time he's writing a Psalm? How much his life sucks. (laughs) Right? God, what are you doing? I'm on the run here. I'm running for my life and wicked men are trying to kill me and it doesn't seem like you're interested in stopping them. Right? Somebody ought to go tell King David, well, King David, if you stop talking about it, maybe it wouldn't manifest that way, right? Manifest your miracle, David. Talk about you're going to be the king in Israel, and Saul's going to jump off a cliff and die, and then that's what's going to happen. It's not biblical, y'all. It's not biblical. And so we've got to stop it. But at the core of this, at the core of this, is this refusal to accept mourning. This refusal to acknowledge mourning. And so Miss Janet sent me a, a, a Bible verse from the Amplified Bible. And y'all, we gotta be careful here 
Because in the Amplified Bible, if you've never read the Amplified Bible, it gives you, it, like in different places, it gives you like multiple definitions of what that word could mean in the original language. It also adds some sneaky commentary in some of the places. And so the passage she sent me was on this, but what it did was it took this, blessed are those who mourn, and then in brackets, as if this was part of the translation, it said, over the sin in their life or in the lives of others. And y'all, this is what we do. This is what we do with Jesus' teaching. We minimize the impact it has on us, right? Because we do, it, it, well, that goofs up my theology. Because if it just says, blessed are those who mourn over things that are sad, well, that doesn't fit my theology that life is supposed to be happy and those who are blessed by God live happy lives. But if I say, blessed are those who mourn over sin, then I, I'm off the hook, Right? And we do that, but it's a sneaky way to get around the issue that Jesus is actually presenting us. The book of Luke really makes these beatitudes. You can't really pick and choose when you do it because the book of Luke, just, he just comes out and says, like, Matt, we're going to talk about whenever we get to it, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we'll get to that, and you know, so we, we, that's one of those things we gloss away. Well, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke doesn't give us spirit, though. He just says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. And then at the end, Jesus says, blessed are you who receive bad things on this earth, for great is your reward in heaven. But woe to you who receive your good while you're here on this earth, for you've already received your reward. Oof. And that hurts, doesn't it? You can't sidestep that bus. It's coming straight for you. And so the question is, what do we want? Do we want to mourn here on this earth? Or do we want to mourn for all of eternity? I'm going to mourn here on this earth. Anybody? <laughs> right? But we can't refuse it. We have got to do it. King David writes about mourning in half of his Psalms. The book of Job maybe not the entire book, but a good 30-some chapters of the book of Job, are all about mourning. The reality, the real teaching is nobody in God's word sits there and pretends that mourning doesn't exist. You will not find one character in the Bible who says, I'm going to manifest my miracle, who says, if I just think positive thoughts and if I just say positive things, that's what's going to happen. And I'm going to ignore all these negative things and pretend they don't exist. It's garbage, y'all. Seen a lot of this. This happens a lot with worship pastors, right? But you come in for worship service, and the worship pastor says, Let's just leave all your baggage at the door. Leave all your baggage and come in and worship God. And the pro it's, it's, that's all well and good. But the problem is we portray this picture like, well, God doesn't care about what's actually going on in your life. So leave it at the door. Come in here and worship him. But that's not what God says. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve says, bring your baggage into the door and then come and lay it at his feet because he cares. And he wants to tell you what of that baggage you need to leave and what of that baggage you need to pick back up. But we cannot refuse mourning. Y'all, if you need anything else, King David, Job, you, we can look at any character we want. But the reality is Jesus Christ himself said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This is one of those Captain Obvious teachings. It seems too obvious, right? But if Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, then guess what? 
Mourning is real, and mourning exists, and mourning is expected of people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Your heart will break in this life. But the blessing is that we have a God who's promised that there will come a day when he will wipe every tear away from those who follow him. But we can't refuse to speak about it. We can't, we can't refuse to disciple others by sharing the things that break our hearts, right? God shares the things with us that break his heart, doesn't he? All through his word. Right? We're heading into the book of Ezekiel in our Bible in a year plan. We just got done with Jeremiah. When you hit these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, it's like, holy Moses. But y'all, they are all the same thing. All of them are talking about the same thing, and it is the heart of God broken because his people won't do what he says. It's still what breaks his heart. We talked about it last week. Y'all, there are entire theologies built on this idea, not, just, not, not necessarily this manifestation thing. That's real far baloney. Throw it out the window. It's garbage. But there's, there are entire theologies out there, guys. When you get into end time stuff and, and all that, people who believe, well, God, of course, God's going to rapture his church before any hard things come because there are Bible verses that say that he will not allow his holy ones to see decay and he will never allow his anointed to be harmed. And Y'all, are you paying attention to anything that's going on in the rest of the world right now? There are Christians in other countries who are being slaughtered because of their faith. And you, in your safe and comfy, cozy Western theology, want to sit here and tell me you want to preach at, at these people. Go to the church in China and preach that doctrine to them. I dare you. God will never allow his holy ones to see decay. Then who are we, y'all? Right? The reality is we get really goofy doctrine when we get comfortable because we want to stay in our comfort. And so we stick with this garbage that there's no such thing as suffering, that God doesn't allow his chosen people to suffer. And then that gets us into real twisted theology where if someone suffers, it's because they've sinned, right? Have you guys heard that one? Well, the reason that you, this happened to you is because you did that sin way back then. Ah, so what Jesus did for my sin wasn't enough, right? And now I have to be punished for it? That's not theologically accurate, y'all. That's not what the gospel says. So we've got to be careful with this. The reality is, if you want true biblical teaching, there's much more of the Bible that says we should recognize and embrace our mourning instead of our rejoicing. Look at what King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 3. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every person, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Y'all, there's a reason the church today does not preach very much in the book of Ecclesiastes. It doesn't line up with our comfortable doctrine, does it? It's kind of a depressing book, and it's because of passages like this. But y'all, if you are going to ignore parts of God's word, you are going to ignore parts of God. And we need all of God. 
We talked about this last week, but Jesus was born to be a man of sorrows, familiar with grief. But the crazy thing about Jesus is that his joy was unshakable. We don't understand this because we don't understand what the joy of the Lord really is today. We've equated joy of the Lord with happiness. And so as a Christian, if you're really going to draw anybody to Christ, you've got to be smiling like a maniac at all times and the happiest person in the world. It's not a reality, though, y'all. Jesus' joy was unshakable because his joy wasn't anchored to the things of this world. He could experience sorrow in this world and still have an unshakable joy because his joy was anchored to his Father, God, who is in heaven which meant no matter what he experienced on this earth, there was nothing that could shake his joy, nothing that could steal it. So while our face may be sad here on this earth, the heart can be found happy because it's with God in heaven. Jana shared this in worship, I think last week, but that quote from Charles Spurgeon, and he talks about this exact phenomena. And it's, it's easy to see why it's so hard to understand for the world, right? Because it doesn't make any sense. In man's way of thinking, it doesn't make any sense. But this is how God does things. And this is, this is Spurgeon's exact quote. He said, The Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts on the black horse of affliction. Those old-time ministers have a way of just, right? They're like, oh, happy, and then they just blast you often comes to us, rides to us, on the black horse of affliction, Jesus uses the whole range of our experiences to wean us from earth and to woo us to heaven. Y'all, the church that refuses to mourn is a church that refuses to let go of the things of this earth. And in doing so, like we talked about two weeks ago, that is a church that is unworthy to inherit the earth. We do not embrace meekness. And so we aren't worthy to inherit the earth. But y'all, it goes deeper. Personalize it. Look at yourself. Because the Christian who refuses to embrace mourning is a Christian who refuses to let go of the things of this earth and in so doing becomes a Christian unworthy to receive any of the blessings that God pronounces over us. It's real stuff, y'all. We have to acknowledge suffering is real. And the true Christian response is not to run from it, but it's to aim it and figure out how do we use this to do God's will. But there is an equal danger and this is just as sneaky as the other one. And it is refusing comfort. There's a pretty popular passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, or I'm sorry, Psalm 30. Uh, it actually gets quoted a lot from those who refuse to acknowledge mourning, but I'm going to use it for the exact opposite this morning. It says this, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You're a 90s Christian, you're singing it already, aren't you? I'm trading my sorrows, right? Yeah, you all know it. 
So you put it in a song, you trade your sorrows, you trade your shame, you're laying it down for the joy of the Lord, right? It's not exactly how it works, but that was the first point, so we're going to move off of this. The biggest thing here is that joy does come. Joy does come. There is a very real danger when we are mourning to get stuck in that mourning process and to refuse to come out of it. You see how this is such a tricky thing? Because it is. It's, it's, it's that old Martin Luther quote, right? The enemy doesn't care which side of the saddle you fall off on just as long as you don't stay in it, right? And that's what we have here because you can either refuse to acknowledge mourning or you can get stuck in it. But either way, if you stay too long on either side, you're not doing the right thing. You can't sit in grief forever. Now, I don't think this passage is meant to be taken literally, right? There's another passage we just read in our Bible in a year plan, Lamentations 3. It's another very popular one. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? That does not mean you have to wait until morning time to ask God for forgiveness, right? There's not this magical 24-hour window that you have to trade in your sorrows, and then after that, you know, God dissolves it away, and sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, right? That's not how it works, but what it does mean is that there is a season for grief, is that there is a season for mourning, and that you cannot sit in it forever, there comes a point where we have to decide whether we're going to hold on to our mourning or whether we're going to give it to God. And the sooner we give it to God, the better. Because as soon as it's in God's hands, God's the one who aims our mourning. But as long as it's in our hands, we aim our mourning. But y'all, let's be real. This, some personalities that sits harder with than others. But sometimes, I want to be sad. Anyone? Y'all, country music wouldn't exist if there wasn't an innate desire in people to be sad. Right? There's a point in all of us where it just feels good to be sad. I just want to be sad. I just want to sit in my sorrows for a little bit. Right? There's a point where I just want to be mad, right? God says, Jeremy, forgive. And I say, God, I don't want to. Doggone it, it feels good to be angry. I want to be mad at this person. They wronged me. They haven't asked for forgiveness yet. Why can't I be mad? Because God said I shouldn't be. And I'm not handing that over to him. I'm keeping it for myself because sometimes it feels good. And then... We get into this trap, don't we? Because sometimes sorrow, actually, it's weird, it's messed up, but it makes me feel good about myself. I settle into this role where I'm the victim, right? And when I'm the victim, everybody else is the bad guy. And I can play my little fiddle, and I can, everybody feels sorry for me. And, oh, look how hard Jeremy's life is. Don't you all feel sorry for me? right? Now go get me gift baskets and tell me how great I am, right? 
it's a danger. And especially, y'all, after last week when I sat up here and told everybody how horrible I am in, at everything, and, and I get this outpouring of encouragement and everything, heck, I'm going to do it every week, <laughs> right? Hey, guys, here's how I sinned this week. I got uh, on Monday, I did that, right? Because I want that. And y'all, I've seen this on Facebook all the time, right? You'll get parents on Facebook all the time. I blew up on my kids today. Little Susie was late for school, and I sat in the van and just screamed at him at the top of my lungs. And it's, oh, what incredible vulnerability. Shh. They blow up on little Susie every week, and they post it on Facebook every week because they want you to tell them they're not a horrible mother. We get into this routine, don't we? Where the enemy twists our vulnerability, where the enemy twists our sorrow and twists our anger and twists our grief, right? Because as long as I'm angry at somebody else and it's their fault that I do the things that I do, then I don't have to turn the microscope in on myself and see what I have to do, the reasons that I'm to blame for the things that are going wrong in my life. Y'all know people like this, and if you don't know anybody like this, <laughs> you are the one, right? We have got to be so careful because we fall into this trap, y'all, where we love the victim mentality. And we fall into this trap where we don't understand how to do life without being a victim. And so we actually manufacture ways to make ourselves the victim. We manufacture these fights with our neighbors and these fights with our friends and these fights within the church. Well, so-and-so said this about me and so-and-so, right? It's always the person, oh, I hate drama, baloney, right? And it's just as deadly as refusing to acknowledge it because it refuses to acknowledge that even our sorrow, even our grief, even our suffering is not ours. As Christ followers, y'all, your mourning isn't yours. You've got to give it to God because that is the only way that we will ever get it right. We see this, right? You see how these two things, they're, they're polar opposites, right? In any shade of those things that are found in your mourning move you just centimeters off of the target. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to aim our mourning, which means we absolutely have to find true comfort. How do we aim our mourning? How do we find the blessing of true comfort? And again, we've got to be careful on this point because we absolutely will find false comfort especially in this world. Y'all, the devil has made it so easy to find false comfort. If you look for it, you will find it. And the scariest part about it is false comfort 100% works. It works, y'all. If it didn't work, we would not have nearly the number of alcoholics and drug addicts and gluttons and all the things that we do today. The reason that exists, the reason these things exist is because it works. And y'all, it is so easy to throw it off. We do this all the time. 
We do it to the drug addicts. We do it to the alcoholics. We do it to the people addicted to porn. We do it to all those things because those are, oh, those are nasty, right? Because it makes me feel good about the fact that every night, if I don't eat a bowl of ice cream, I cannot cope with my life. It is just the same, y'all. It is just the same. Anything you turn to for comfort outside of God. Look, does that mean ice cream's bad? I hope not. I really hope not, because I like ice cream every now and then. I'm not like as crazy about it as some people I know, but I do like it. But here's coffee ice cream. Like, that's the bee's knees. Give me coffee ice cream, and I'll eat it all day long. But anything, y'all, and here's where we have to be careful. We had a really incredible exercise last week, for those of you who were here, right? Really incredible. Where we sat there, we shared with one another, we, we bore our souls, and all of our deepest and darkest sins came out. I'm just kidding, that probably didn't happen everywhere, but maybe with some of you. But we did that, and it felt great, right? Be careful, y'all. There's this, this, this irks me. I'm sorry, I'm going to throw her under the bus, but sorry, not sorry. There's this psychologist out there who gives good psychological advice that gets portrayed as Christian psychological advice, and it is not. It is completely against what the gospel actually says, y'all. And Christians, we need to test these things because I've seen far too many Christians dive headfirst into this. Dr. Caroline Leaf is her name, and she gives good psychological advice, okay? Good psychological advice, not saying it's not, but here's the problem. When you're having a bad day, you need to call five of your best friends and have them all tell you something good about yourself, and that'll pull you right out of that. And the church promotes that. When you're having a bad day, anchor yourself in the opinion of other people. That is great gospel advice. False. Y'all see how sneaky it is? What if you call those five other friends, you're on the verge of suicide, you're ready to end it all, I'm done. You call those five other friends and all five of them are having a bad day. Jeremy, I don't have time for you right now. Can you leave me alone, please? Jeremy, I don't have, what is this stupid activity? I don't have time for this right now. Jeremy, you're really annoying with all these stupid questions you're always asking me. Then what happens, y'all? Nothing good, right? Because I have further anchored myself into a hope of this world. We've got to anchor ourselves in the gospel, y'all, which says that Jesus Christ loves me so much, he gave his life as a substitute for mine. That he gave up everything so that he could be with me forever. And that's a reality that will never change, no matter how bad or good my day is, y'all. That's the kind of anchor we need to drop. But we can find false comfort in the opinion of our friends, right? If I get up here and, and Kurt comes up and prays with me today and I bear my soul to him, and he says, oh, Jeremy, don't worry about it. You got this, buddy, right? But the Lord says, Jeremy, you do need to worry about this because you don't got this. And if you keep going down this road, you are going to lose everything. But if Kurt never stops to ask God what he's supposed to say to me in my grief, 
if he never stops to ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to pray for Jeremy about right now? Then I don't get what I need. And just because Kurt and I are brothers in Christ, does that mean that when we talk, that, it's, that that's God's, God's in the midst of it? No, right? I can give, look, y'all, I can give any of you worldly advice. You want to come up to me and ask me what I think? Sure. But I don't want to give you worldly advice. I want to give you godly advice, which means we have to, we have to ask the Holy Spirit what to pray every time before we pray. Y'all, we cannot afford to miss this. We can't afford to miss it. Because I, as a pastor, I, as a friend, I, as a brother, I, as a husband and a dad and whatever else, I don't want to give false comfort. Not when God offers true comfort. Not when that's on the table. And all I have to do is say, boy, you know, I don't know what's best. But I know someone who does. And he happens to live right inside. So let me take a moment, let there be a moment of awkward silence, and let me ask the Holy Spirit, what do I actually need to pray right now? And then pray. We are so scared of silence, y'all. <laughs> right? Oh, Jeremy, could you pray for my marriage? Sure, Lord Jesus, bless his marriage. Help it to be fruitful. Help them to never fight. Help them to... Come on, y'all. Right? When the reality is, Lord Jesus, don't bless his marriage. Curse Jeremy. Help him to realize that he doesn't have it all together. That he's not all that in a bag of potato chips. That he needs to surrender himself and live selflessly in order to really make his marriage work. Not what we want to hear, right? But what we need to hear to find true comfort. The reality is, if you want to find comfort, you can find it in anything, y'all. You want to bury yourself in your fantasy football team? Guys, don't forget fantasy football drafts after this. <laughs> she like that smooth plug? Yep. But for real, y'all, you want to bury yourself in fantasy football because it's easier to deal with than reality? right? You want to bury yourself in work. You want to bury yourself in raising your kids. You want to bury anywhere you look. And we've talked about this a thousand different ways. These aren't bad things. There's nothing inherently evil about fantasy football, right? There's nothing evil about marriage or children or anything. Quite the opposite for those. They're good things, but when we use them as our true source of comfort, that's called idolatry. And we can't do it. We're going to look at Psalm 13 now. We're going to check it out, but, but just so you know, this is one example of one psalm. You can look through all of the psalms. Not all of them, but the ones that are on this topic specifically. But you can look through them, y'all, and I challenge you, go check them out. If you're taking notes, you can jot these ones down. These are just a couple good ones off the top of my head. Psalm 23, that's a super popular one.
But Psalm 23 is a great psalm to look at that talks about suffering and that talks about where to find our true comfort. Psalm 23, Psalm 30 is another one. Psalm 56 is another one. Check those ones out if you've got time this week. You can comb through any of the psalms, y'all. Here's what's interesting with the psalms. Who wrote the Bible? Holy Spirit is the correct answer, right? The Holy Spirit wrote the word of God through men. So guess what the men who wrote the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what they didn't miss? The aim, right? So guess what these psalms hit in their sorrow every time? The bullseye. Look at Psalm, thir- or what is Psalm 13. I forgot which one I did real quick. This is from King David. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. Anybody ever been there? Right? There's a, when Jan and I were going through, uh, our, we had trouble getting pregnant early in our marriage and we walked through miscarriages quite often, and when we were walking through one of them, Jana had told one of her friends, I just kind of feel like God's forgotten me. And that friend went to an advisor of them, is like, I am so worried about Jana. I think, she's, I think she's starting to walk away from the faith, right? But what's David saying here? This isn't uncommon whatsoever, is it? You see this in tons of David's psalms. You see this in tons of biblical characters. God, what are you doing? God, I am crying out to you right now because I don't know where you are. I can't see you. And I feel like you've forgotten me. Has anyone ever felt that way? Can I encourage you? Don't pretend you don't. Don't ignore your sorrow. Don't ignore your mourning. What do all of these people do with these thoughts? They take them to God, right? They pray to God, God, I feel like you don't see me right now. I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like everybody else is getting ahead, but I, all my prayers are unanswered. Everything I want, God, everything I've asked for, I feel like you've forgotten me. He continues, My enemies will say I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has looked after me. Look at that anchor, y'all. God, don't let my enemies win. Don't let my enemies defeat me. But that's not David's anchor, is it? I mean, like, look at it, guys. You can hear. You can hear this, what we've been saying every week with our Beatitudes. Can't you hear it in this? Right? My goal is God himself. At any cost, dear Lord, and by any road. God, even if my enemies win, even if this is it for me, and this is how my life ends, as long as I get you in the end, I'm okay with it. 
you can hear it in these verses. Some of you know this, my favorite Bible verse. I know I say every Bible passage is my favorite, but this one really is. This is my life verse. It's been my life verse for a long time, but it's Job 13, 15. I, I, this is, I can't think of a passage that holds greater faith to it than this verse, where Job says this in one of his most desperate prayers, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. In the middle of Job's worst suffering, this is his declaration of faith. Not, oh, God's suffering doesn't exist. (laughs) Joy of the Lord is my strength. Things are going great. I got these sores all over my body. All of my children just died. God's taken literally everything I possess. (laughs) We're good. Not that. And not sitting in his grief, woe is me, oh, I'm so sad, look at me, look at me, look at me. Not that either. If this is God's will for my life, I cheerfully submit to it. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. My goal is God himself. At any cost, dear Lord, and by any road. God is our anchor. God is our aim. How do we navigate mourning the right amount of time? How do we navigate finding the right kind of comfort? How do we do any of it? How do we know when to stop grieving and to move on if there is such a thing? I would argue that there isn't. I would argue that in this life, Christian, Christ follower, this isn't isn't something you put on the billboards that's going to get people to turn off I-75. Hey, look at this message they're preaching at this church. Go there. This isn't going to attract people, y'all, but it's real. And when storms hit, when trials hit, y'all, this comfy gospel that we preach, it falls apart really quick. But this does not because it's the real gospel. It will not fall apart when storms hit. So we have got to cling to it. What do we do when life falls apart? And for the Christ follower, all of life is going to be mourning. Because Jesus says, mourn now so that you can rejoice when you get to heaven. Mourn now so that your heart breaks for the people that you need to go to so that your heart breaks for the people who need saved. And you can go to them because your soul won't rest until you see these people saved. Mourn now so that you can rejoice for all of eternity. Life for us, Christian, is mourning. It is full of mourning but it is also full of an unshakable joy that God provides when we let go of this world and when we hold on to him. So we have to give our mourning to the Holy Spirit. We have to let him direct us so we know how to disciple with our mourning, so that we know what to do with it, how to come out of it, how to process it, all of the things We have to give him reign, even with our suffering, even with our mourning. 
which means we have to pray only what the disciple or what what the Holy Spirit leads us to pray, right? This is foundational to discipling. Absolutely foundational. Therefore, last week we talked about discipling with our morning. If it's it's foundational to discipling, y'all, then it has to be foundational to discipling with our morning. We disciple with others as the Holy Spirit disciples with us. And the Holy Spirit is always discipling with us. Our problem is that we're not always listening, right? Some of you may be in this practice. Some of you need to get in this practice. Some of you have been in this practice and need to get back into this practice, right? Every time we pray, really every time we speak, God, Holy Spirit, do you want me to say this? Right? Holy Spirit, do you want me to pray this? Holy Spirit, what do I pray? Holy Spirit, what do I say? Every time. Because we can only disciple with others. We can only give people the true comfort of God if that's how we do this. The Holy Spirit is always ready. The question is, are we going to listen or not? So when we pray together, before you pray a word, ask the Holy Spirit what to pray. I remember the very first time I ever did this. We were doing like a little life group at Jana's house. I think we were dating at the time. Actually, I actually think the Hansons were there. And we, we separated guys and girls, and all the guys went over there. And that was what Jana's dad said. You know, he, he said, all right, we're not going to share any needs. We're just going to get in a circle, and you're just going to pray for somebody. And y'all, I was like... I need to go to the bathroom, y'all. Like, anything to get out of here, right? I was so nervous. I was like, what the heck, Van? Jana, you didn't say we were doing this tonight. Like, I would have found something else to do, right? I was terrified because what's, what's the human response is what? Well, what if he doesn't say anything? What do I pray for, right? Can I tell you something, y'all? I have never gone into a situation and prayed that prayer, said, Holy Spirit, what do I pray? And had him not tell me what to say. Every time he comes through, yet every time when I have to do it, I get butterflies and, oh God, what if you don't show up? Right? Every time. You think eventually I'd figure it out like, oh, okay, God wants this to happen more than I do. Right? But every time he's shown up, y'all, he showed up then when we were doing that, he showed up every other time since then. And he's always told me what to say. And sometimes he says, yes, that is what they need. You need to pray for that. Other times, there was one time it was extremely uncomfortable because somebody was with me and asked me to pray for his marriage, and that isn't what God told me to pray for. There was something a lot deeper, and he didn't talk to me after that. <laughs> But you know, I, don't, I don't know what happened after that. Maybe his marriage was saved, maybe it wasn't. The results aren't ours, right? My job is to say what God tells me to say. And if that means he's never going to talk to me again, then that, you know, that's God's will. It's not mine. But it's God's job to take care of that. But y'all, we have to pray and ask God to speak through us. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care who I think I am. 
God's way is always higher. God's thoughts are always better. Everything, y'all, is always better. So this morning, we're going to exercise this again. We're going to pray together again. If, if there was somebody here last week that you prayed with, if you want to connect with that person again, you can. If you want to find something different, somebody different, you can. If you want to pray with your spouse, you can. Whatever it is. But we're going to pray together. But listen, y'all, before you pray with one another, before you pray, do not pray your prayer for that person. Ask the Holy Spirit. Share with one another. Be open with one another. Be vulnerable together. But before you pray, ask Holy Spirit, what do you want me to pray? Look, if you want to get together with somebody and say, just ask the Holy Spirit what to pray, right? Then do that. But y'all get ready for it. Because if you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to pray, he's going to tell you what you need, not what you want, right? You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, <laughs> you just might find you get what you need. Y'all, my goal is God himself at any cost and by any road. And if that means that I need to be a little uncomfortable here on this earth, then I embrace being uncomfortable. I embrace doing some things that maybe I don't want to do. I embrace asking for some prayers that maybe I don't want to ask for. Maybe I want things to stay surfacey because as long as they're on the surface, they don't cut too deep. But I want to look like Jesus, y'all. And at the end of this life, I am willing to mourn in this life so that I can experience eternal joy in the next one. So let's embrace it. Let's give it to God. Let's ask him to direct, not just our mourning, but also our comforting when we comfort those around us. Amen? Amen. Let's spend some extra time in prayer this morning. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.